Good morning, Victory Church and family. Uh, this is the day that the Lord has made. Uh, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, I am excited to continue uh, with our sermon series, Belongs to God. Uh, as I've mentioned, we'll hear from different voices at Victory in this season. Uh, and so excited about today's message, but also excited about uh, the message to come uh, in the next couple of weeks when we will hear from others as well. Uh, if I had to title our sermon uh, this morning, uh, and it's a difficult one to title, um, but I would call it Reconciled. Reconciled. Uh, we have a little fair bit of scripture to read this morning, as you uh, may be used to coming from me. Uh, we'll be reading an Old Testament and a New Testament scripture. The Old Testament we'll read uh, will be very familiar. We read most of it last week. Uh, it's from Exodus chapter 2, verses 5 through 15. And then we'll also turn to the New Testament uh, and read from Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Let's dive into the word. Exodus chapter 2, verses 5 through 15 reads as follows. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. Turning now to Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. When Jesus had finished saying all of this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this. Because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with him. He was not far away from the house when the centurion sent friends to him to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes, and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, 
And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. The word of God and the word of strength. Let us pray. God, in this moment, Lord, and throughout time, I pray that you would speak to your people. Uh, move me out of the way, Lord, and speak to uh, the hearts of your people exactly what you want us to hear in this season. And I pray, Lord God, uh, that you will continue to allow us uh, victory and the victory of diaspora to practice and learn and exercise the ministry of reconciliation. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. And praise God. Amen, Victory family. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for uh, joining in these few moments. Uh, I believe that uh, we have some, uh, some, some sermonizing to do, if you please. We have some work to do together to dive into uh, this sermon and, uh, and what it means to be reconciled. Uh, indeed, if I were to characterize this sermon, I would say that uh, this is a sermon that we preach and speak together. Uh, and then I am inviting us on a continuing journey to dive into what it means to be reconciled, to reconciled with God, reconciled with each other, and ultimately to know the, 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 the foundations and the promise of that reconciliation. Again, this is part of the Belongs to God uh, sermon series. It is uh, a sermon series that, that abstractly comes at this idea of what it means to belong to God. Uh, and last week, we talked about the woman at the well, and uh, we presented kind of five or six questions uh, that were implicit in the conversation that Jesus and, and the Samaritan woman had. Uh, Jesus, will you see me? Will you look at me and not see beyond me, but see me? Are you greater than my history? Are you greater than my circumstances? And can you deal with the real me? Can you make sense of my beliefs? And are you the Messiah, the one that came to bring us back to God? Jesus answered those questions for the woman at the well. You can read it again in John chapter four. And indeed he answers us those questions for us as well. And Jesus provides us with living water. Uh, water that if we uh, continue to drink from it will allow us to never thirst. And yet, uh, as, a, as a people, uh, as a church, as a victory church, as a church plant, as a group that is pressing forward, uh, that is a group that, that is in a, an atmosphere of 2020 and 2021, if you please, that involves many shifting sands. Uh, and as we form together, I find myself uh, wrestling with God and reconciling with you, rather, about what it means to be reconciled. What does it mean for me to be reconciled with God? And what does it mean for me to be reconciled with you? And what, indeed, is God calling Victory Church to in this difficult, yet potentially prosperous season. 
Uh, I suspect many of you are asking yourselves the same question. Really, the question kind of is, what's going on in this world that we are living in, in a world of strife, in a world of sickness uh, and pestilence, in a world of war and earthquakes, in a world where we are worried about many things? What does it mean to be reconciled to a God who can take all of it from us? If we dive in to the story of Moses, we might begin to start to formulate perhaps the questions that we can ask to figure out how, how we are to function and what it means to be reconciled. Moses is a fascinating figure. Moses was in some senses stuck between two worlds. Moses was a Hebrew. Uh, he, he was born a Hebrew and the, 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 the situation in the day meant that his mother thought that she had to give him up. And so she carefully placed him in a basket uh, and the basket went down the river Nile and uh, Pharaoh's daughter ended up picking up this basket and in some senses returning Moses to his mother to be weaned and to be raised. Eventually Moses gets a little bit older and Moses is given over as Pharaoh's daughter. And so here we have the unique situation that Moses is in. He was born a Hebrew. He was raised as a Hebrew but he was also recognized and raised in the household of the court of the king of Egypt. In some senses, the movie says Moses was a prince of Egypt and yet also a child, a Hebrew child. And these two identities uh, began to wrestle with one another. They'd wrestle even more uh, as Moses got, got older, but even now there was a wrestling, and there must have been a wrestling within Moses between uh, the, the, the people who, who were Moses' birth family, who, who were in a situation of oppression, and also Moses was, was in the situation of literally being in the household of Pharaoh, of, of the ones who held the power and privilege in that day. And amongst the power and the privilege of being an Egyptian, Moses was raised in the household of the leaders of that people. And so Moses had a, a choice. And in the Bible, as it's presented, we see that uh, the choice was made quickly for Moses. He, the Bible speaks to Moses seeing someone oppressing his people, Moses seeing someone oppressing the Hebrew, and Moses was rash, uh, and Moses' actions here were wrong. But his sentiment was to, in a world where he could choose to stand with those who were in this day oppressed. He stood up for the Hebrews and he committed a crime. The next day he saw 
two Hebrews, animosity against each other, fighting amongst each other. And he turned to them and said, no, 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 what are you doing? This isn't the fight. Why are you fighting against each other? They turned to Moses and said, Moses, are you going to do to us what you did to the Egyptian just the other day. And Moses recognized a couple of important things in that moment. Number one, what he did was known. But number two, his choice, his choice to be counted amongst the, the, the nation, the fledgling nation of Israel, his choice of being counted amongst the Hebrew did not necessarily mean that others saw him that way. Moses was stuck between two worlds and his two worlds collided and Moses fled. He fled all the way from Egypt across the, the, the Sinai and fled to Midian. And he sat down, the Bible says, by a well. And with my sanctified imagination, I see Moses there running away in a sense from this question of what it means to be stuck between these two worlds. Yes, he was running away from the, 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 the potential punishment of Pharaoh for the crime that he committed. But I believe he was also running away because he didn't want to answer the fundamental question of Hebrew and Egyptian and what it might mean for him to reconcile those things within himself and within his world. How do we reconcile when? In the heart of hearts, in the depths of our soul, we, we, we feel wrestling when there are different forces acting within us, when there are different allegiances, and we feel like perhaps we need to choose. How do we reconcile? Moses ran away. And in Midian, in, in what I'm going to call Moses' first wilderness, uh, indeed, he did live. Indeed, he had a child. Indeed, he did continue to move along. But uh, at least for me, in Moses' story, I see this time of, uh, of hiding, this, this need for reconciliation that isn't fulfilled until God shows up in a burning bush and tells Moses, Moses, you've been doing well here in the land of Midian, but I'm still calling you out of hiding. When I look in here, Moses' story, I do indeed see portions of my story, portions of your story in it. Do you see your story in Moses? You know, I've been reading and uh, many things, reading the Bible and also reading a book by uh, a preacher named Howard Thurman, uh, who wrote the book, Jesus and the Disinherited. It is believed that Martin Luther King and others used to carry around 
uh, Howard Thurman's books and specifically Jesus and the Disinherited as uh, uh, an encyclopedia, if you please, of what it might mean to authentically walk in this world from the vantage point of the disinherited. Uh, we don't need to get into the details of Howard Thurman, how uh, he founded a congregation that was specifically uh, focused on having people from different communities, white and black in America, worship together, if you please, or how he served as a, as a dean, as a chaplain, indeed, at, at Boston University. But instead, let's, for a moment, focus on what Howard Thurman said about loving enemy, because I think it gives us an interesting context to think about. Howard Thurman talked about three different types of enemies when we consider loving our enemy. Uh, the first might be uh, a personal enemy, if you please, and the main enemy is perhaps harsh. Uh, but we have conflict with our brother and with our sister. Uh, somebody we know, it's somebody that we love, that might be somebody that we live with, it might be somebody that we minister with, and there becomes a, a moment, a point of contention that can break that relationship. And there's animosity between a brother and a, a sister, or between a brother and brother, a sister and sister. There is a relationship that becomes broken and therefore requires reconciliation. Ah, uh, you have an argument or you have a fight, you recognize that you have the, the same history, you have similar faiths, but somehow uh, something isn't jiving and you, you end up fighting with your spouse, you end up fighting with your best friend and you feel the weight of this separation, if you please, of this idea that, 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 that this person doesn't really understand you and, and this feeling of, uh, of estrangement or, or, or this feeling of being alone can flood in. And we recognize in that moment that reconciliation is required. That's what I'm gonna call the, the personal enemy. Oh, but there's another type of enemy that Thurman points out. Um, for, for people who Thurman calls disinherited, this is uh, 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 characterized by people whose activities make it difficult to live without shame and humiliation. Uh, they're still related to you. They might You might not know them personally, but they are part of your community. You might go to church or synagogue with them, and yet there is something about them that, 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 that separates you from them. Uh, the example that Thurman uses, and the best example, is probably the tax collector in Jesus's day. A tax collector uh, who was Jewish, but who was in some senses collecting taxes for Rome in a situation where uh, the people, the children of Israel, were looking for their political freedom the freedom to act after a series uh, of being overtaken, of a series of being put in a difficult situation. There were those who were part of the community but seemed to serve 
forces that were outside of the community, the, 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 the tax collector, if you please. But so it wasn't a personal enemy, but a, a situational enemy. And the question is, how does the tax collector and uh, the regular person come together? How, how is it, if you please, that Jesus called and counted among his disciples? The tax collector. There's a need to feel and see reconciliation there, even if it's not personal. And the third category that might be helpful uh, is the representative of Rome, uh, the representative of the, 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 the downpressor, the, the one through whom oppression is being completely manifest and what both personal and what, what Thurman calls political are functioning uh, against you. Uh, and, and there's something about the enemy that is the Rome, the Roman Empire, if you please, and its representatives thereof, where there is both a, a personal chasm or separation and what you might call a, a social political chasm or, or separation, where uh, I don't want to have anything to do with the, the representative of Rome. I don't know them, and indeed they represent a force that is materially opposed to my situation. And Thurman, and indeed Jesus, talk about what it means to love in all of these categories. Ah, there has to be a moment when the Jew and the Roman in Jesus' time overcome all of the situational baggage that separates them and overcome the personal baggage that separates them and come to a place where they can be reconciled. And that love is only possible between two people, between two spirits that are free of the vestiges of oppressor and oppression that hold them back from entering into true relationship. It's only possible when they overcome that estrangement and come to a place where they can be reconciled and beloved. That can only happen in God. The truth of the matter is that when we are honest with ourselves, we recognize the ways in which we are both Jew and Roman. We recognize in ourselves the vestiges of estrangement from our God and from our brother and sister that are rooted in our birthright, that are rooted in our history, that are rooted in our uh, quirkiness, that are rooted in our present circumstances, that are rooted in the way that we were taught to believe 
And if we're honest, we ask the same questions that the woman by the well did. And ultimately, we come to the point where we see a Messiah, thank you, Lord, that can overcome all of that. I submit to you this morning that that just might be what our centurion was overcoming this morning as he sought a healing for his servant. Oh, the centurion, one who was uh, in, I'll call it middle management in the army of Rome, who had people that worked for him and had people above him, but was in a very real sense, the representative of Roman power and Roman oppression in the midst of an Israel and a people that yearned from the depths of their soul for the Messiah to come and bring about the consolation or the freedom of Israel. Ah, a people, a people perhaps like all of us who are yearning beyond the, the vestiges of our circumstances to be free, a people that are tired of being put upon, a people that are tired of, of what's going on, a people who are tired of circumstance and can see in the centurion's very uniform, can see in the centurion's very walk and talk the ways in which we need a Messiah. And the centurion recognizes in the midst of all this that he has a servant that he loves, though he might be separated from, and that he needs something for his servant. So what does he do? He says, I, I need to go to a man, a man from Galilee who I know can make a difference. You know, the centurion in the version that Luke shares doesn't go on his own. He sends the Jewish elders to see Jesus. This centurion had to approach the Jewish elders with a need. The centurion who in some senses had power over the Jewish elders, but in other senses had absolutely no spiritual power over the Jewish elders recognized that he needed to put aside uh, the vestiges of his past that said you are categorically different and needed to approach the Jewish elders. And he did. He said, I have a need that goes beyond uh, my centurionness, my Romanness, if you please. And I need. Jesus to answer this need. And the Jewish elders go to Jesus and they appeal to Jesus and they vouch for the centurion. He loves our people. He built the synagogue. The centurion is in very real ways acting within his position to help 
the children of Israel. And yet, if he is an aware Roman, if he is an aware centurion, he recognizes that there, in some senses, is nothing he can do to give up his categorical Romanness. And so if he is Roman, how can he reconcile in this moment for his servant? But in general, how can he reconcile? He can reconcile with his Jewish brothers and sisters, but he might not see how he can reconcile his Romanness in a world where there's animosity between Roman and Jew, in a world where there's a wall of hostility between Roman and Jew. And what he does is he goes and he sends the Jewish elders to Jesus. And Jesus is willing to go to the centurion. And the centurion sends messengers in the version in Luke and says, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. And that's why I didn't come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. I am a man under authority. And I understand what it means to say go and it happens and come and it happens. And he knows that Jesus has the power and the authority to provide the healing. But I want to submit to you more than that this morning, and this is a conjecture, but I want you to, to consider for a moment the possibility that the centurion also recognizes that Jesus has the power to reconcile. And that when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. The Messiah, uh, the one who came uh, for many people's minds and imagination to somehow overthrow the vestiges of Roman rule and proclaim again the kingdom of Israel and all of its glory and power under David and Solomon. That one who came to the to the, the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel, that one who was the Messiah, declares that he hasn't seen such faith in all of Israel. That the greatest faith that he has seen is in the centurion. Imagine what that must have been like to hear for the children of Israel. Oh, that uh, this re representative of Rome showing this great faith. 
And I believe that Jesus recognized a realization of who Jesus was and a fundamental truth that the centurion walked in in this moment, that we can be reconciled to God and to each other. Yes, at the personal level and at the level beyond our control, because we can recognize that God can do it. Oh, we recognize that Jesus indeed has the authority to speak a word and to match our desire to be reconciled to our brother and sister with the reality that our situation makes that difficult. Yea, some would say impossible, but with God, all things are impossible. And I believe also that Jesus recognizes in the centurion the truth that we can give up our place of privilege. We can give up our place of righteous indignation. We can give up our situational understanding of ourselves. We can give up our need to be right. We can give all of this up to love our neighbor and to be reconciled to our neighbor. Indeed, Jesus Christ was sent in this very mindset. Uh, Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, our Father. As I close, point out that Jesus who had every right to be God and to be separated from us who are humans. He didn't accept that, but instead he humbled himself to become in human form. And even in human form, he humbled himself to be among uh, people that were under Roman rule. And even in that, he humbled himself further to, 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 to be killed on a cross, not for his sins, but so that we can be reconciled to each other. 
Jesus came so that our reconciliation could not just be personal. He came so that our reconciliation could be with those in our midst who, who, who we don't know, but who feel are hurting us, who are downpressing us. And he came so that the categorical ways in which we might separate might be yielded to Jesus's truth and his ministry of reconciliation. And in Jesus and perhaps in the centurion and indeed in Moses, we see an important capacity, a capacity to be in a situation, to be in history, to recognize exactly where we are and the vestiges of our reality and our history that seem to try and to define us and to say, no, 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 I have not defined by my circumstance. I'm not defined by my oppression or by my oppressor, but instead I am defined by Jesus Christ who has granted us the ministry of reconciliation. I am defined by the fact that I can seek after God. And yes, it is difficult, but I can see the historical vestiges that might bind me and I can like, Jesus Christ, choose to walk and have my being with those who are suffering, with those who are oppressed, with those uh, who need a touch from God, that it is indeed possible. And while it is difficult, to go to the place where you see someone as your brother and sister, yet your history tells you and tells them to see it differently. While it is difficult, indeed wrenching to be in a place where you want in the very heart of your hearts to be reconciled to your brother and sister. Ah, that it is somehow categorically different. That you want to reach beyond both the personal and the categorical to have relationship with fellowship besides the fact that it is difficult, besides the fact that it caused Moses, I believe, to run to run away from his calling to his people. I submit to you that with God, all things are possible and that God has the healing and the balm and Gilead that accompanies the ministry of reconciliation that he is calling you to. And the centurion shows us that we can go beyond this personal reconciliation to a place where the walls of hostility between proverbial Jew and proverbial Roman can be broken down in the ministry of reconciliation. And uh, as our internal energy fight between those two things, the ways in which we are Hebrew and the ways in which we are proverbially Egyptian and what it means to step into a space where our love is called into question 
and that we go into hiding. I want you to know that in the midst of that, God can find us. And in the midst of that church, we are called to slowly and carefully as we transition to explore the roots of centurion style reconciliation, of Jesus style calling faith, faith in the midst of reconciliation, in the midst of, a, uh, of an R, in the midst of a circumstance where Jesus saying this to the centurion was radical, uh, was perhaps more than radical, but difficult. In the midst of it, the centurion and Jesus came together and had the opportunity to achieve the depth of reconciliation that we might be called even in this moment to explore together in prayer. You know, I recognize um, I'm, I'm preaching in some senses over Zoom, and I recognize that if you are hearing this, uh, there can be a difficult message, but I want you to know that God indeed right now wants to meet you like he met the woman at the well. He wants to meet you like he met Moses by the well. He wants to meet you as he met the centurion. He wants to meet you in this very moment and allow you to walk into the fullness that God has called you to walk in at Victory Church. Because in this time of turbulence, he has called us to walk there. We're exploring together. And I want, if you are hearing from God right now, for you to walk into what God is speaking to you in this very season, as it relates to being reconciled to God and reconciled to each other. And indeed, in becoming the healed and free person that is necessary for us to delve into the deeps of reconciliation. I believe that God is calling us to such a time as this. And I believe that our common but differentiated journey in this season belongs to God because you belong to God. Victory Church, I love you. I'm learning and trying to love you more and better. I'm learning to walk into this ministry of reconciliation. And I am thankful that though we may stumble, we are walking together and preparing our hearts as fertile ground for God to do the great things that God is preparing to do at Victory Church. And now if you have not experienced the awesome power 
and the relieving truth of God's grace that he loves us and simply calls us home. Wherever you are listening to this, I encourage you to accept the truth that God loved you so much that he died for you and that all he is asking for you to step in to the fullness of joy that comes from knowing him is to simply put aside our pride and control and instead say, Jesus, I repent of the ways that I've been separate from you and I accept that you've loved me enough to save me. If you prayed that prayer, I encourage you to write it in the chat or to submit a connect card so that we as a church can journey with you on this journey of reconciliation. Victory family, victory friends, I am so thankful that you are continuing to press towards the mark that is the high calling in Christ Jesus. I believe that God has great things for us even in this season as we seek to be reconciled to God and each other. And I'm so excited about what God is doing in our midst. Continue to pray and to press into God. Church, he has awesome things for us. Thank you. And God bless you.